Thank you for listening to First and Ten, brought to you by the National Post. I am your host, Michael Gallagher, I'm joined today by Chase McCabe. Uh, you listen to him every Monday through Friday on Darren, Donick, and Chase. Chase, thank you for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. A lot of stuff to, to talk about. We could kind of touch on some things that happened today just to kind of keep some people in the loop. Ryan Tannehill, don't know if he has COVID or if he was just exposed, but he's placed on the reserve COVID list. Uh, Jeff Swain and a linebacker. I think that the outbreak is up to, to eight players. We found out uh, special teams coach Craig Ackerman um, is unavailable due to COVID as well. And Mike Brable, I mean, I guess it's good it's happening now in the preseason before the regular season starts, right? Yeah, I mean, you obviously don't want to see this at all, but um, the fact that it they, you know, they're going into the third preseason game, they still have a couple of weeks before the regular season. Um, it's better to deal with it now and not like last year when they missed, what was it, 16 days of practice and games and had that Monday night return against Buffalo in which they won. But uh, you certainly would rather just get all this out of the way now and hope that everybody's okay because uh, the, the health and the safety of the players, I mean, that's, and coaches is ultimately what's the most important. So uh, hopefully it, it can all pass quickly. It's interesting to know that, that Mike Rabel has, he has admitted that he was vaccinated too and he ended up catching the virus. Not sure where Ryan Tannehill stands with his vaccination. He said being in a training camp, he was in the process. So I don't know if he yeah. was fully vaccinated, but it's – we, we heard John Robinson talk about earlier that he, when he was in Tampa, he felt safer going out to dinner because he is vaccinated. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see how John Robinson, Mike Rabel, and some of the other players, especially in the Titans organization, have been, been very outspoken about getting vaccinated. It's, it's obviously a personal decision. No one should be shaming anyone else one way or another of what they decide to do. But it, but it is kind of interesting. And I guess kind of a breath of fresh air to see people talk about getting to say, Hey, I'm vaccinated. I feel safer because of it. And, and understanding that just because you are vaccinated doesn't mean you're immune to the disease. It's someone, someone said getting the vaccine is kind of like wearing your seatbelt in the car. It doesn't mean you're never going to get into a wreck, but it increases right. the chances of living if you do. And I, I think it's just interesting to see how the Titans are approaching this because talking about vaccination stuff is just a hot button topic, in, you know, in our world record. Yeah, and Mike Vrabel said today in his press conference that, you know, he feels like his symptoms were were not that bad because he was vaccinated and that, you know, he even though he has not produced the negative tests as of yet, um, that he feels fine and, and doesn't feel like this is as big of a deal because of that vaccination. So, um, and, and everybody has their opinion on it. And I have always been like, hey, it's, you do you, I'll do me, whatever you want to do, that's, that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I applaud them for at least being open to the conversation about it. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's, you know, remarks before uh, training or at the start of training camp. I respected that. I respected his honesty because there were still questions that he had and um, he felt like he he had to do it because of the protocols that the NFL had put in place, but, you know, he wasn't exactly on board yet because he hadn't learned all the information that he wanted to. So um, it's a, it's a hot button, like you said, but they, uh, and Vrabel also said, I think they're 97 to 98% of the team is vaccinated, but obviously they're dealing with this outbreak. Yeah. Kind of, Touching on that stuff now, we can get into the stuff that we originally planned to talk about. <laughs> uh, 
I want to, I want to kind of start off with where you know it's, it's almost a, a week since the, the last preseason game against the Bucks, but I wanted to touch on some takeaways from that game because I feel like there were a couple of things that were noteworthy coming out of that game. Obviously, there was the heated practices that, that led up to that, and the Titans secondary on the first day of the joint practices with the Bucks looked really good, and Tom Brady had some praise for them. Um, and I thought it was it was good to see to, to see them play against one of the top quarterbacks in the league and not really get eaten up because cornerback depth, depth is something that's really kind of been struggling for the Titans ever since they let go of everyone in the offseason. We don't really know who's going to play where outside of Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Um, obviously, they want Caleb Farley to, to take hold of one of those two starting cornerback jobs. How, how quickly he does that it remains to be seen. You have Christian Bolton. Elijah Molden looked really good in that that one ridiculous play where he just ducked under two offensive linemen, did like an army crawl, got up and, and sacked yeah. the grass. Uh, so I think the cornerbacks really stood out for me. I think the secondary is kind of rounding into form. But I think my biggest takeaway, and I want to get your take on this too, is I feel like now it's a true quarterback competition. I feel like Matt Markley, you know, he's able said he's going to start against Chicago on Saturday, but he looked much more composed against Tampa. He, he appeared to have better command of the offense, and he just looks like he was making smarter reads. Logan Woodside's kind of been the for yeah. years, and, you know, he's held off Trevor Simpson, John Kaiser, Cole McDonald. And at 26, it feels like that they're looking for more out of him. And I just – I feel like it's a true quarterback competition. If Logan Woodside earns it, he's going to earn it because Matt Bartley's going to push him. Yeah, I, and I think that's why you bring in somebody, somebody like Matt Barkley because Deshaun Kaiser wasn't making it a competition. It wasn't even close at that point. When, when Barkley was signed – uh, we had a pretty, pretty intense debate on our show on one or two five the game about, you know, I said, well, it's it's a competition. This guy's been a backup. I mean, he has been every the the definition of a backup in every way since he came into the league in 2013. So why would you not view it as a competition? And I get it. They wanted to give Logan Woodside every chance to win that that position to be the backup. He's been the backup. Um, they, they wanted to make him earn it and he still might earn it. He still might be the guy, but they're, they're also giving Barkley an equal chance. And I think it's important to find out what you have in both of those guys, because we started talking about COVID and the, the, with the expanded practice squad, you can do protects, you know, every team is going to have at least three quarterbacks. Um, and with Tannehill's situation right now, who knows, they may announce tomorrow they've signed somebody else, um, to, to have four on the roster, but, I, uh, I, I think right now I give a slight edge to Barkley. Um, I think it's interesting how they're going about doing this. You know, a lot of times when you have a competition, you might see, okay, well, uh, Barkley will get a half, Woodside will get a half. But as Vrabel said, they're going to alternate every couple series, um, which I, I kind of like that. That's different, you know, because you can, you're keeping a lot of the same players in. You're seeing how they react to different changes and sub packages. And so, so far, it's it's looked like Barkley's been more comfortable doing that, but I think that's where the experience comes in. So it's intriguing, and, and I'm glad that it's something that they're putting a lot of emphasis on. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like the, the thought process of having you know, Barkley play for a couple of drives and then have Woodside kind of rotate him as opposed to, you know, Barkley gets the first half, Woodside gets the second half, because if, if you do that, you kind of know where you stand. You know whoever starts the final preseason game is probably going to be higher up in the depth chart because they're going to be playing a little bit more with the ones and the twos. And then, you know, you, you go Barkley in there, you bring them out, you put Woodside in. And I think just rotating, you're giving each guy an equal fair chance with the ones and the twos and, and whoever whoever you want to give the most playing time to. Um, I think it's interesting because 
Woodside hasn't really had a lot of competition. You know, they kept Sean Kaiser last year as kind of their, their designated survivor quarterback yep. just in case. And now with Ryan Tannehill, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing with, with Tannehill have, you know, on the COVID reserve list to have that again. So maybe maybe Barkley wins the backup job and Woodside is kind of that designated survivor on, on the practice squad. I think it's very interesting to watch, though, because like you said, I, last week we had Therese Walker on the podcast and we said, you know, Logan, it's Logan Woodside's job to lose. And then Matt Barkley goes out and has an awesome preseason game against Tampa, kind of shows that he's a little bit more than he was in his, his first outing. And now it, it, it's a legitimate quarterback competition. I think it's a point flip as, as the – I don't really think there's a favorite heading into this final preseason game. Yeah, and, and the thing, too, that I've noticed is I feel like that um, – and Willie Donick said this today – that Woodside's been a little more Charlie checked down, and Barkley has been slinging it. I mean, Barkley yeah. is not – because he's made those throws before. He's He's been in the league. He's been – whether it's a backup or whatever, he's, he's played in the preseason. He has much more experience – than Woodside. Woodside didn't have preseason last year. He did okay in the preseason in 2019 when he was with the team. But I, I just think you're seeing Matt Barkley is not afraid to to maybe take some riskier throws. Um, and that could be by design. That could be what Todd Downing has drawn up for him and, and Pat O'Hara, the quarterback's coach of, of, hey, let's do that. Let's throw a little bit more at Matt and not as much at, at Logan. I don't know. But it stood out to me. And so I think that has factored into making this more of a competition. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like Barkley just being the, the five-star quarterback coming out of high school, going to USC playing granted, he hasn't had the most successful NFL career, but I think over his entire body of work, I think he's been in more pressure packed situations than Logan Woodside has. And he might have a little bit more to draw on because I mean, there could be a potential where Tannehill gets injured or maybe something, a COVID issue happens down the road. And, and whoever is the backup quarterback gets thrust into the middle of the playoff race and you're trying to hold off the Colts, you're, you're, you're maybe vying for the second or third seed in the AFC. And I would rather, if I was Mike Grable, I would rather have someone like Matt Barkley who's kind of been in these situations and he at least knows what to do. He's not going to get lost in the lights this week. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And so I think experience is, is certainly going to help. And, I mean, even if Barkley wins the backup and you keep Logan Woodside as that third quarterback on the practice squad, I mean, he he knows the offense. He's been around. It's a position he's been in before. I think that's that's good, too. You know, the, the truth of it is if Tannehill goes down, that changes a lot of things. It, it doesn't matter, if the, you know, who the quarterback is uh, unless you see, you know, Logan Woodside be the next Tony Romo, this undrafted guy that nobody's ever heard of and, he lights it up because of all the weapons that he has. So let's hope it doesn't get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> kind of transitioning to the next topic I wanted to talk about, because I feel like this is, there's a lot of different options to choose from. I wanted to get your take on who is either a player or the position group you're most excited for, because I feel like there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of new faces on this team. There's a lot of, obviously the low hanging fruit would be Julio Jones, simply because the Titans haven't, you know, they haven't ever had a wide receiver of his caliber before someone that's a future hall of famer, He's explosive, physical. He can go up and get the ball. He's a true deep threat. He's a home run hitter. Like, he does everything. And putting him opposite of, of A.J. Brown, I mean, it's just endless combinations of possibilities for the offense. For me personally, I'm going to go with Caleb Farley just because I feel like, he, yeah. you know, he's a top 10 talent in the draft. And if he didn't have the back issues, he probably would have been a top 10 pick. The Titans get a steal of a corner, someone who a lot of scouts, if you listen to them, they, they say this guy could be a future all-pro. So he has the ceiling of a true shutdown cornerback, like you know, like a Champ Bailey or Darrell Revis or someone like that. And I think if you 
in two to three years, if you have someone like that on this defense, that's a game changer for Shane Bowen and for Mike Rabel. Um, so I'm excited to see what Caleb Farley does. You know, he has the injuries. He's coming along slowly. I do think Teresa Walker made a great point last week. The, the Titans want him to be their starting corner. Jackrabbit Jenkins might be here for a year or two, but I think in two to three years, you're looking at having your top three of Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, and Elijah Molden. I think that's, they're all 22. They're very young, very explosive. And I think that's a, that's a good way to set your secondary up for success. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what Caleb Farley can become this year. They're going to bring him along slowly. We know that, but I think the talent's there for him to be, to be an all pro, like, like a lot of the scouts were saying. So I want to get your take on this because you guys on your show talk a lot about a lot of different players and a lot of position groups that have been impressive in camp. So I'm curious as, as to who you think. Yeah. And, and I probably have three or four different answers I could give you right off the top of my head. Uh, as, as for player, for me, it's Jeffrey Simmons. I, I am ready to see that beast completely wake up and, and you've seen the slow build. I mean, it was funny. I thought about this the other day uh, when remembering the, the late, great Floyd Reese. Um, the last show that I did with Floyd was uh, before the Chicago Bears game last year at Nissan Stadium. And we were talking about Jeffrey Simmons, and he had just hit the 16-game mark in his career after missing you know, so much in his rookie year and then, and then going into the second year. And, and I can remember Floyd you know, pointing that out and saying – Everybody that's like, hey, you know, there, there's got to be a little bit more. Where is it? It's year two. It, it wasn't year two. It was year one, like, that he was he was in. And now, in technically his third season, I think he's ready to break out. I think he has come into the league. He's learned what the league is like. He has learned this system. And, and granted, you know, you've had some influx at defensive coordinator. He knows what Brable is wanting to learn. And, and you add somebody like Nico Autry on that line with him that I think is only going to help make him better. I, I think Jeffrey Simmons is poised to just have a, a breakout year for this team, and it's going to be fun to watch. So that would be how I would answer player. I'll even answer position group. I think receiver is going to be excited. The obvious names of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Josh Reynolds is an interesting case study because – he, he was on a team with a, a very, very good offense in L.A., but just didn't get a lot of looks because of that. And you may think, well, okay, that's the same thing's going to happen here. This offense, albeit with Arthur Smith, you know, they like to go to the slot. And I think the hope had always been that you were going to have a healthy Corey Davis, a healthy A.J. Brown, um, a healthy Adam Humphreys last year, and you never got them at the same time. If you put all three – of Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds on the field at the same time, plus the truck in the backfield and Derrick Henry, plus Anthony Ferkser, you got a lot of places you can go. And that's going to be very tough for defenses to, to go up against. So I think Reynolds is, is going to get his too. You know, the, the, it's going to be on Julio. It's going to be on A.J. Brown. But Reynolds is interesting. And then these young receivers that are fighting for the – fourth and the fifth and the sixth, maybe even a seventh spot, whether it's a Chester Rogers or a Marcus Johnson or Des Fitzpatrick, who's been slow in camp, but he's now starting to come on a little bit. Um, Cam Batson, who's been here for a while. Mason Kinsey, probably going to make the practice squad, but he's had a, a heck of a training camp. They got a lot of depth at receiver that, that I think is going to be fun to watch. So uh, long-winded answer, but that's how I'd, that's how I'd go about it. 
Yeah, I think you're right on the money with the receivers because, like you said, this is probably the deepest group they've ever had. Uh, looking at the Titans potentially carrying seven receivers, which is almost unheard of for a team. You know, five or six is, is about the the average of what a lot of teams have, but there's just so many talented guys to choose from. It's cutting a, a sixth or a seventh guy, you're splitting hairs between how good they are. And you're looking at Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers, Mason Kinsey, Cam Bats. There's so many guys that you could make the case that they, they should be the fifth or the sixth receiver. And I, I think that with, with um, Todd Downing kind of taking over, I think what we've seen with him when he's worked with the passing game specifically, we've seen him, Matt, he had Matt Stafford's best year came under Todd Downing as his quarterback coach. He had Derek Carr, he turned Derek Carr into, into a three-time Pro Bowl quarterback. I, I think with, with Todd Downing, he will feature the passing game more than Arthur Smith did, just because that's kind of his nature. Arthur Smith was more of a ground and pound, where are you down with Derrick Henry kind of coach. And I think I think with, with Stafford and I think with Kyle Orton, the year he was in Buffalo, um, and I think with uh, Derek Carr, you saw that all three of those offenses threw the ball a lot. So, yeah, yeah. That, that might be crowded wide receiver room, but there's going to be enough ball to go around for, you know, four or five, six guys. And I think that's something that Todd Downing brings to the table that maybe Arthur Smith didn't. And I think it, you know, it, carrying seven receivers may be kind of a gamble, but I think there's enough, there's enough playing time to go around for all. Yeah. And, and I think too, Derrick Henry's still going to get hits. I mean, yeah, because exactly. – Play action is the bread and butter or has been the bread and butter for the, this offense because of how effective Derrick Henry is. And I think Ryan Tannehill thrives in that. And so you're going to see a lot of a lot of giving the ball to Derrick early in the game and then spreading it out, throwing it around based off play action because it's been so hard to defend. Because if you're a defensive coordinator and you're lining up and you see number two out there and Julio Jones, number 11 and A.J. Brown, 22 in the backfield, plus the other guys that we've talked about. I mean, what do you do? You 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 got a three-headed monster plus the quarterback that could tuck it in and run too uh, and hurt you. So it's, it's going to be very tough to defend if everybody stay health, stays healthy and it all works like it looks on paper. And back to your point about Jeffrey Simmons as well, I, that was another guy that I was really kind of – I almost went with him. I just went with Caleb Farley for the fact he's a rookie. We don't really know. But Jeffrey Simmons, I like your analogy, it's been a slow build to where he is now. And we saw how, how having a Jarrell Casey really set the tone for this defense when he was here for the number of years. And I think Jeffrey Simmons can do the exact same thing. And I mean, the, the ESPN story that came out over the summer where an anonymous GM, you know, said he's the, he's the closest thing to Aaron Donald and someone else, another league executive said, you know, he's a top three defensive tackle right now. It's crazy. Yeah. He's 23. He's in his third year and he hasn't even really scratched the surface on his potential because Talk about a game record. That was what everyone said to Clowney last year. I think Jeffrey Simmons, I, I hate using that term game record, but that's exactly what he can be. And I think this is the year where he kind of steps into that and he owns that. And he, I wrote in my story for the, the cover story I did for the Nashville scene. I think this defense will go as far as Jeffrey Simmons can take them. Agreed. No, I totally agree with you on that. I, I think he's got a Derrick Henry's the catalyst on offense. Jeffrey Simmons has to be the catalyst on defense. Yeah. And he has more, he, he has more help too now than he has in the past I mean Bud Dupree coming in um, I really like the rookie Rashad Weaver and, and what he's done in training camp Harold Landry I think is going to have a bounce back here you look at Rashawn Evans Jayon Brown you know they're both on one-year deals essentially I look for them to to improve but it all starts up front with Big Jeff and uh, I I'm 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 excited about that that's going to be fun to watch 
kind of touching on two more things here before we wrap up. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is kind of who, in your opinion, has benefited the most from training camp and preseason. We've touched on some of these guys already. I, I think what you're saying earlier about Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers, I think they definitely benefited with AJ Brown and Julio Jones not really playing. And they, I could very much see them being featured heavily in the passing game once the regular season starts. And I think kind of someone who, you know, maybe isn't talked about a lot, but the last couple of weeks definitely is Rashad Weaver, like you just mentioned, I think yeah. just be, simply because if he is what the Titans hope he can be and what he's shown he can be, he makes Bud Dupree, Harold Landry, Danico Autry, Jeffrey Sims, he makes all of them better because he takes some pressure off of them. If they have five legitimate guys that can get after the quarterback, this front seven can be really scary. So I think Rashad Weaver has benefited a lot more so from the preseason than training camp. He kind of struggled at you know, the beginning of camp. But he's gotten his, his feet under him the last couple of weeks. And I think, depending on what happens with his court case, he might miss a couple of games. But I think if, if he's truly healthy and they put him in there and you have a rotation on, on the outside with, with Dupree and, and Weaver and Landry, I think you're looking at the, the makings of a really good pass rush. Yeah, and don't forget John Simon either. I, I think that was a good pickup. Uh, to bring him in. But how many times have we said over the last probably three or four off seasons, well, the Titans have to improve their pass rush. And then they go and they try and put all their eggs in one basket, like Jadavian Clowney last year. Yes, I know they signed Vic Beasley, but I, I think if you knew anything, that, that was never going to work. And they just didn't have depth. Uh, Derek Roberson's been a nice player. You know, Vrabel really liked him. But now you look at pass rush, they have depth. And, and it's not just Landry and Bud Dupree. It's Rashad Weaver. It's John Simon um, that they have brought in now. And, and so I think that is going to benefit everybody. And, I, I, you know, no one's asking Weaver to come in and be the superstar right away. But I certainly think he's going to get his chances. You're going to have different packages that involve bringing him in. Um, you mentioned the court stuff. That's that's obviously going to be something you got to pay attention to. And you could be without him and see what what the long-term effects of that are, but I've been very, very impressed with him because he's grown. I think he's benefited from being able to work with Vrabel because Vrabel is very hands-on when it comes to that stuff and, and played the position and knows, um, you know, different techniques and, and can teach. And so I, I think you've seen him grow in a very short amount of time. and He will continue to do that, you know, as he gets into actual games. Kind of wrapping up, the last thing is it's, it's, <laughs> talking about kickers with the Titans will, will make a lot <laughs> of fans want to rip their hair out. Given how how bad things have been since since 2019, it, it, it's almost just like if they have a kicker at this point, it's just kind of a miracle. They let go of Tucker McCann last week. You know, he had the injury in the first preseason game, but he was before that he was just really kind of struggling in camp. He has he has the leg. He's kicked several 50 yarders. His accuracy has just always been a problem. That's that's the reason why he didn't beat out Steven Guskowski last year because he he could kick it from 55, 60 yards, but he, it was a guessing game as to whether it was going to be near the uprights or not. Sam Ficken kind of wrapped up the, the starting kicker job. I'm curious to, to know what your your personal confidence level in as in Sam Ficken is this year as the Titans starting kicker. Ask me again uh, after the Arizona game. I mean, uh, it, it's really hard to say because of what you've just laid out there. I mean, and what they've gone through with kicking in the last few years. I mean, this this organization, since they became the Titans, was pretty spoiled when it came to kickers. I mean, Del Greco early on, even though he was on the back end of his career, 
he was pretty solid. Uh, they go to Joe Nedney, and unfortunately, injuries marred his time here. But he was, you know, he had the the game against the Steelers where he won the Oscar, and you know, he made some pretty big kicks. Gary Anderson, you got off the couch, and then Rob Aronis, Ryan Suckup um, here in the in the last few. They haven't been able to find that next guy. I felt that Steven Goskowski would end up being the kicker, and I still could be right. It, after week one, contracts aren't guaranteed. If Ficken struggles, like if we lay this out on our show, if Ficken has the same stat line as Steven Goskowski did against Denver in week one last year, they still win the game. But if Ficken has that same stat line, he's getting cut because he doesn't have the, the skins on the wall that uh, Goskowski had. And I believe that Goskowski would be the first phone call. Now, if he's solid, like if you know he's got a couple of misses in the first few weeks, but you know he's hitting from inside forty, no problem. Maybe he's missing in the forty to forty-five range, a couple here and there, and then anything beyond forty-five, forty-six, that's whatever. Then I, I think he's going to stick around. But that's ultimately what they want. They want to be able to not go through this every year. And have a kicking battle in camp. I mean, if you really think about it, it should be the easiest position to find. Now, I understand kicking now, you know, they're kicking from longer ranges, stronger stronger legs. They've moved the extra point back. It's maybe not as easy as it used to be, but this is a position that they got to figure out. And, and so we're not having this conversation. So I got to see it. You know, I got to watch it in the last preseason game. I got to see it against Arizona. Let's see what he does in those true pressure situations. But um, so it's a long way of answering your question. I'm fine. 50 50 <laughs> is the best way to put it right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. And first, I want to applaud you for not making a terrible kick in the pick and pun that it just seems like everyone does. It's, it's kind of I've already done that. And, and so I, I figured that material's been retired. I, yeah. I did it right away. And I, and, and I decided I'm not going to do it anymore. So that, that's how it should be. Nashville media and their fun <laughs> to recycle them. Use it once, get your lap and move on. But I, I think you're right on the money with what you said about picking. It's kicker is the one position on this team where you can almost say it, it get Mike Rabel will tell you every position gets a jet, um, gets evaluated on a week-to-week basis but kicker is the one true one where it could literally change on a week-to-week basis and it would surprise nobody because of what they've gone through I I do think I think I think Ficken can get you through the season I don't know if he's the quote-unquote kicker of the future I mean I think he's only like 28 he's still kind of a young guy he was seven for seven today and I think in training camp he made like 90 percent of his kicks but those are uncontested kicks. You're, you're just kind of kicking against the wind. You're not really facing a rush of any kind. There's no pressure. The game's not on the line. I think we'll kind of see in week one what Sam Ficken will do in week two and kind of so on. And I, I'm, I'm of the same mind of, of thought that you had, too. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point this year Stephen Goskowski is a Titans kicker. He has a house in Williamson County. Very clearly will be the first phone call. Like you said, he has the skins on the wall. You, you know what you're going to give a Goskowski. You might get a couple misses, but – I feel like Mike Rabel would be more comfortable rolling with Goskowski than, than a Sam Ficken who may or may not be making kicks. We, we're not really sure what to kind of expect out of that. So I do think it's going to be something to watch and you're very much right. They, the, the fans of this team really got spoiled with how good the kickers were from year to year and transitioning and not having to worry about that. Now you're seeing two, three years struggle with trying to find a kicker. 
it's it's a good thing they're going through it with a kicker. They're not worried about trying to do it with a quarterback like the Cleveland Browns did until they got Baker Mayfield. So it's right. definitely something to keep an eye on. But at the same time, like when you're a team that's in this window, in this championship window, um, you can't be losing games because your your kicker is missing kicks. Yeah. You know, especially easy ones. I mean, you go you look at Goskowski's stat line and he, he got better. He get, you know, and, and I was ready to cut him after the first week because I just don't have patience. But um he got better as the season went on, and then you didn't worry about it anymore. It's like, okay, all right, Goskowski's solid. But you can't – like, he was missing kicks, you know, easy kicks. And so you can't have that, especially when you're the, the Titans in this window. And so I think Ficken is going to have a short leash. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's the one position that I don't think you can say they've attempted to upgrade just because Steven Goskowski was kind of so-so and they replaced him with so-so. All the defensive positions that they, they went and they replaced some of the starters from last year, I think they legitimately tried to upgrade. Kicker, I don't know. So I'm with you. I, th- I think it's kind of a, a wait-and-see approach. I wouldn't be surprised if he lasted halfway through the season got cut. I wouldn't be surprised if he got replaced after the first game. Also, wouldn't be surprised if he somehow held on and was good, just good enough to hold on to his job all season long. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. The Titans, they play Saturday at Nissan Stadium against the Chicago Bears. Matt Barkley will be getting the start. I think that, that final preseason game will kind of tell us what we need to know about some of these guys and, and as far as the roster cut. Um, the 53-man roster, I think, Sunday is when it will be decided at 3 or 4 p.m., somewhere in there. Um, so, yeah, that's what we have to look forward to. Chase, I appreciate you joining me. You can find Chase at 1025 The Game. You can listen to him Monday through Friday, 10 to 2, right? Yep. With Darren, Donick, and Chase. If you're a racing fan, he also has a Chasing Checker show on 1025 The Game. That's on Saturday morning, right? Saturdays at 9, and then uh, talk a little sports betting Fridays at 6. So do go. a little bit of everything. He, he's all over the place. You can find all the stuff at 1025 The Game. You can follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Chase on Game. There you go. Go give him a follow, listen to him, and thank you for listening.